This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Manesh Patel, Chief of the Division of Cardiology and Co-Director of the Duke Heart Center at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Dr. Patel, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Now, before we dive in the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. I'm blessed to be the Division Chief of Cardiology here at Duke University, as you've heard. Um, I am trained in cardiology, uh, both in clinical cardiology and interventional cardiology, and then did clinical research at our Duke Clinical Research Institute, where I worked on several clinical trials aimed at improving cardiovascular outcomes. And I've really enjoyed coming back towards helping run our clinical mission um, with the main goal of integrating research into our clinical practice and improving the way our patients in our local community do by translating some of those discoveries to their health. Fantastic. Well, we can dive right in here. Uh, What are the top three biggest issues that you're seeing in cardiology and heart surgery today? It's it's hard not to think about cardiology and heart surgery coming off of the, the 2020 COVID year and not have that affect your thinking some. But, but I do think the three biggest issues in cardiovascular medicine for most practitioners around the world is going to sort of be, I'll call it sort of three groupings. The first is personalization, figuring out how we continue to have so much knowledge in the field, both for surgical and clinical care, and new drugs, new diagnostic modalities, new invasive valves and therapies. So how do we personalize that? Because uh, in many ways, cardiovascular medicine has been a place where we've said, you know, cholesterol lowering is good for everyone, but we know as you age, and if you haven't had heart disease, should we be personalizing that? Are there risk factors that are higher or lower? The same thing for valve disease or overall cardiovascular health. The second, I think, is prevention. You know, we've spent a lot of time uh, as the field has matured going through how do we care for people. Uh, One would argue that heart surgery and cardiovascular disease is a disease of aging. And uh, certainly as people age, they have these chronic comorbidities of high blood pressure, diabetes, other risk factors. So how do we prevent some of those things? And it may not be as simple as just reducing those. There might be some really innovative therapies coming that I think are going to be big issues that we have to get to the larger population. In some ways, this gets into health equity. You know, we, we certainly know a lot of things that work for people. Unfortunately, not all of our patients across all our communities get that. I guess my last P, if I said, you know, it's personalization, prevention, I guess it would be a pandemic. Cardiovascular medicine and cardiovascular disease, unfortunately, still is the leading cause of, of death and disability worldwide. And we are very blessed to have a vaccine for COVID and certainly have made great insights. But we likely need to take that same level of energy towards cardiovascular disease. Uh, If you think about the pandemic and how the words we used and the urgency we had to bend the curve, uh, look at the number of people, unfortunately, that were passing away every day or were being infected. If we did that for people with cardiovascular disease and thought about how do we bend the curve, how do we change both the social and biologic determinants of health, I think it would make us much more effective. Um, It is likely the place where we will gain the most life years over the next decade if we can do some of the things I've described. Got it, got it. That's really fascinating to hear and so exciting to think about. Now, I want to, one quick follow-up question. When you're looking at um, some of the prevention issues, and I know you mentioned some of the disparities in healthcare and access to care, is there anything that you all are doing at uh, Duke to really um, address those needs for communities who may not traditionally have had access to care? 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and part of what we've learned in the pandemic, because we've learned so many lessons and you, you really wish we didn't have to have a pandemic to learn those, but, you know, our, our communities around us, um, and when I say us, I mean all of us in healthcare that are trying to help our communities, there are many parts of our own local communities that need more engagement in their own health, need to trust potentially or feel confident with their healthcare providers and how they see that. What we've started to do, uh, both partnering with the American Heart Association and other groups, is start to think about how can we have um, healthcare or heart care champions. We did this before the pandemic, but they became even more valuable during the pandemic. So, you know, the, the largest cause of morbidity and mortality worldwide that's probably modifiable after tobacco use is hypertension. Yet something so simple as checking blood pressures, understanding what it means, disproportionately affects our, our, our black and brown populations and, and people of color. Additionally, we know that, that the medications and lifestyle issues associated with reducing blood pressure can be effective, but have to get there. So that part of reaching out into the community, we've done both hypertension heroes, we've worked with some of our community champions and just getting blood pressure checked in a variety of different settings. And then we've done, you know, trying to cook with heart, uh, you know, health and, and think about ways in which we can engage the community in thinking about their own care. That as that progresses to making more informed decisions about whether they do need procedures or they do need other invasive care, but probably the most important innovations coming in the next um, few years will be around translating both blood pressure management and potentially innovative therapies for blood pressure care and prevention around cholesterol and lipid particles. Got it. Got it. That's great to hear. Now, how are you seeing heart care evolving in the next 18 months or so? I know we've touched on this a little bit, but are there any other big themes that you see really taking hold in the future? For sure. I, I guess the first first theme is closer to home. You know, uh, you know, uh, heart disease and heart care has still been something that's been very hospital based, but but just with as with the pandemic, as I've mentioned, but with other things, people want to get care as close to home as possible. And in addition, we've started to realize that a lot of the procedures that we often traditionally did in hospitals can be done closer to home or in ambulatory settings. And that's a really large transition because both there's financial and clinical implications to what I've described. So understanding which patient's right for which procedure, where or where they should be getting the care is critical. So I think that's what I'll call the dispersion of heart care into the community in a way in which people can access it closer. The next probable innovation, I would say, is in, 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 in truly in mechanical and device therapies that we're starting to develop and continue to develop, both valves, which have gotten a lot of attention, but some of these other procedures, which will be dominated by therapies, both mechanical and um, drug therapies for heart failure and for cardiovascular um, care that traditionally not had procedures, such as hypertension, as I've mentioned. And I guess the, the third big innovation is, as I said, I think care delivery. Um, you know, uh, that the world we live in now has gone from uh, routine clinic visits and standard to um, better knowing your heart and your heart health at a 24-7 perspective, understanding the importance of sleep, understanding the importance of your heart rate and blood pressure, understanding exercise recovery. All of those have become really critical as we think about how we take care of our patients. So I, I think those innovations will have a large footprint and um, probably be the biggest ones over the next, um, say, 18 months. Got it. That's a great point and, you know, interesting to hear about. Um, what are you most excited about today and what makes you nervous? 
Yeah, I, I think the the thing that I, I'm probably most excited about in cardiovascular medicine right now is our our ability over the last 10 years to quickly start to learn that there there are ways in which when we take our therapeutics to our patients, we can measure the improved clinical outcomes. And so I'm most excited in the fact, as I said, that I think we're going to be able to do more and more of our cardiovascular care and in a, in a distributive fashion. So that likely I see cardiovascular care and in, in, in sort of a base of prevention for all of our population. That's not going to just be cardiologists, but it's going to be innovative ways in which we do cardiac rehab and overall both digital or coached prevention. And then there's four general pillars of cardiovascular medicine uh, after prevention for everything and prevention generally for those chronic conditions. There's valvular disease in which patients can go from having mild, moderate, severe valvular disease, and there's medical and surgical and minimally invasive surgical techniques. There's coronary and vascular disease for which there's, again, prevention, improved diagnostics, and then endovascular, percutaneous, and then surgical techniques that are improving. There's arrhythmia care, and atrial fibrillation is the most common cardiovascular condition in the next decade for people over 60. And that arrhythmia care, it goes from making sure they don't get strokes to innovative ways to reduce that burden of arrhythmia and improve potential care for them. And the last is heart failure, you know, the, the function of the heart. What's your heart function? How do we make it better? How do we keep it from deteriorating? And that goes from routine medical care prevention all the way up to innovative ventricular assist devices and transplantation. So those are what I would call the most exciting aspects of it. What makes me nervous, um, to be honest, is that um, uh, cardiovascular care should require a fair bit of funding and scientific uh, steps forward. But Unfortunately, in the, in the environment we exist in, we're going to have to continue to prove that we can deliver it closer to home in a, in a way that makes it both financially sustainable for our, our country and the world, but also helps us continue to innovate. Absolutely. Absolutely. That seems like such an interesting challenge in trying to, like you said, make sure that you're being innovative and really, truly helping the patients get better, but at the same time, you know, delivering the type of care that they need and, and making sure that the cost structure makes sense as well. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's our challenge for a lot of things, but certainly the most for very common conditions like cardiovascular disease. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? Yeah, thanks. I, I think, that, you know, I was blessed to have a tremendous set of mentors and colleagues that I still get to share and bounce things off of. So I, I think the, the the first piece might be to what I'll call sort of a mixture of, of listen and listening and curiosity. You know, you know, one of the things that I've found in, in, in my own career, but people that I've emulated and seen in our, in our field are people that are able to take in different amounts of information by consuming it, whether it's reading it, seeing it, listening and hearing it, listening to people, but then remaining curious and asking questions and continuing to push to understand better in gentle and humble ways. So, so that's number one. Number two, I guess, would be to be patient advocates. We sometimes forget that some of our best and key lessons are to advocate for our patients and then our own communities. And part of what really sets some of our cardiovascular leaders apart is that they are <clears throat> aiming at changing the health care and the health of their own community. And it's hard to be the best in the world if you're not the best in your backyard. And I, I think that's part of 
one of the things that emerging leaders should think about. And finally, I, I think, um, you know, it, it sounds simple, but one of the, the things that I find most refreshing amongst, uh, say, our, our star clinicians and physicians is that they are um, what I'll call their, their energy or their work energy is high. And so that they're able to express the passion of what they care about in clear and concise ways. And that they use that as what I'll say the North Star for the, the decisions they make and they make that clear. And so an, another way that a lot of people talk about that is is communicating their, their ability to communicate their passion will be critical as they go forward and try to affect change. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Yeah, again, thanks for having me.